Right, what is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me back. Of course. So, first of all, tell us, how is your cut going? It's going pretty well. Um, I'm, I've been down on average weight each week, so that's a positive. Um, I think that I experienced expected to look leaner at this point six weeks out but I'm also on week four of like barely any carbs so I expect that I'll I'll look a bit better once I add those in too but it's it's going well okay yeah you're absolutely like you're gonna be a little bit more flat that piece of it makes sense I will say too you haven't done a photo shoot ever have you no I remember, like, for my first photo shoot, going into that the day before, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be ready for a shoot, right? Like, your mind really twists that, and you're still six weeks out. Like, that's still a very yeah. good chunk of time. And then, like, seeing the pictures, like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> like, that's that's how it looked? Okay. It, it is I definitely, like, in your head, things, I do think your perception of that gets twisted. Yeah. Um but I mean, you still have a very long amount of time to go. How, yeah. how have you felt going more hard with this? I haven't felt as bad as I thought I would. And I've almost like not even wanted to post anything about it because I don't want people to look at that and go, oh, see, I just need to drop all my carbs. But it's a like, it's a really specific thing to me. And um, it's also just like this weird case where I have high um, blood glucose sometimes and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so um, I think that part of this is just like resetting my insulin sensitivity. So it's not anything that is going to be more beneficial for fat loss most of the time versus having the same amount of calories from carbs. And I typically will be more biased toward including as many carbs as possible with most people. But um, so I had this strong bias against it and I really haven't felt as bad as bad as I thought I would. I do miss having carbs and I miss having like more vegetables just for food volume, but it's also probably good for me just to have a lower like food volume amount and lower fiber and stuff just to know that I'm okay <laughs> with that. Cause I'm like a very food volume person. Like I like to have a big salad with lunch and I eat a ton of vegetables normally, which is a good thing, but, um, it's, it's good. I think to know, like I can, I can be okay with lower food volume and not try to chew my arm off or something. <laughs> <laughs> How has your digestion been with so much less fiber? Have you noticed a difference? Uh, it's been good. I think there's not as big of a difference again, like not, it's not as big of a difference as I would have expected. Like, um, I think in a deficit either with, well, and the context of this is also that I had already reduced fiber from mm -hmm. the start of working with Sue to the start of the cut. And just that improved my digestion quite a bit. So, going from like a more um, reasonable amount of fiber down to a low carb amount of fiber wasn't a huge change. Okay. That makes sense. That's, and that's one of the interesting things about that. Cause you were eating what, like probably 60 grams a day, right? Uh, yeah. Like, like 45 ish. Yeah. Way too okay. much. What was your kind of sweet spot there? 
Um, like between 30 and 35 is what I was eating before switching to lower carb. And now it's still like 25. So it's not a crazy difference. Yeah. That is the interesting thing too with fiber is I think that a lot of times people think it's just more is better, more is better. And I know I have like one client specifically, Joey comes to mind where this is something we've been working on a lot where he's always struggled with just being a super skinny dude right? He can eat as much food as he wants. He like, he can eat a shit ton of food and he's still always skinny. And like, it seems like a ton of food at the time, but he's still always hungry. So then we started digging into like his digestion and basically he was having like constant diarrhea and all these digestive issues. And his food was like, just like a shit ton of broccoli and like there, like his food logs were just entirely whole foods. Right. And he was eating the crazy high amount of fiber as well well not necessarily crazy i was closer it was close to like 70 grams a day but still a lot of fiber right and one of the things we've done is actually like what i came to with that is okay like us so you're not gaining how we want we know in the past you've struggled to add weight and add muscle tissue well probably a huge piece of that is like looking at your digestion you're not actually going to be able to absorb and make use of all these nutrients if you're constantly feeling like this, right? So like one of the, the first thing, we need, before we just like try to add in more food here, we need to look at what can we do to go ahead and improve your digestion. And I know even like a couple of years ago, like when we worked together, digestion wasn't ever something that I really dug into. That's definitely been part of my evolution as a coach as well. It's like, uh, like and that's such a good example of it. Like as we get your body to actually be able to absorb these calories, like unless your body can absorb those and make use of them, then it doesn't matter how much you eat, right? Like you're still not going to be able to build the muscle tissue you want. And that's been one of the biggest difference makers for him. I know is like, actually, okay, let's bring the fiber down a little bit. Like let's focus on actually improving the digestion. Like this isn't something you should just have to always feel like you have to live with. And your body is going to be in a much better place to actually build muscle tissue. If you're actually absorbing that food, like, hunger will be much lower and it's been cool to like go through that process with him and actually see like how we can speed up his muscle growth how we can bring hunger down without actually having to like force feed him more yeah yeah and i i like the the thought of like because i think for me i was always just trying to make sure i maximize the amount of nutrients i was getting in Mm -hmm. whatever food i was eating and you I've had this talk with some of my clients too. Like once you get to a certain amount, it's like your bucket starts to just overflow. You're not actually increasing your, um, your benefit from that. There's like a cap. Like once you, once you get to a certain percent RDA of your vitamin, whatever, then you get double that. That's not any extra benefit. So I think that that's part of it. And then also just like being scared of hunger, you know, if you've, I don't know if you've dieted before or um, anything like that. Then there's like a fear of getting too hungry from being um, like eating processed foods or even just like rice (laughs) instead of um, like broccoli or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I think that we come from pretty different backgrounds there because I was very much like IFYM and then over time we've gotten more and more like, okay, I guess I should probably eat nutrients now that I can understand why this will help me get more jacked. I well, guess I started with the IIFYM stuff too, but it was still just like like the volume food, like fake food. Right. And then, okay. and then went more toward like whole foods, but still like, I don't know why I've always like gravitated towards like just like larger volume foods. I think it's just cause that's what you, that's what you, 
hear and talk about for fat loss. And it is a great idea if you're coming from eating um, a bunch of like boxed stuff or like right. grains with every, like the, your only carbs or grains, then going toward more micronutrient dense whole foods is great, but there is a limit. Right. <laughs> so. Right. No, absolutely. And that's the thing too, like in like Joey's case where it was actually like, Hey, this is actually detrimental to your results. How far you're taking this. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not that that's a common thing. Right. Like, right. It's, it's yeah, not like, my, this. <laughs> that, is, that is a good thing. That's like a cool fringe example, but most people are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, like the, like hearing like, yeah, some people just need to dial it back in their training and need to like t- not push as hard and not get better results. And then like, but that's like typically the, the people that take that and run with it are the people that actually probably like need to push harder. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's, that's a very good preference. Cool. Um, I know we have a decent amount of questions here, so let's go ahead and get into it. Do you want to go ahead and kick us off with your first one? Yeah. Let me pull this up here real quick. So the first question is how do you stay on target when an injury might limit training? Hmm. Yeah. It of course depends on the injury. Typically what I'll talk about with clients in this situation is like, where is your nutrition at? Right. Um, of course it, again, it depends on the injury. So if it's like, Hey, I, whatever, my arm got cut off. Okay. You're probably not going to be able to train for a while. So, then we have to look at what can we do within your, like, what can you still control? I think that's one of the best mindsets. And that goes for like an injury or like some of my clients in Australia, we've been talking about this with lockdown, right? Like it's such a frustrating thing. Okay. So your options are now basically we can quit and you can regress or we can look at what can we still continue to control. And typically in a situation like this, sometimes, okay. So for example, if it is, a lower body injury, like whatever you broke your foot. Okay. Within the gym, we can still focus on like seated upper body work. You know, really like we can, we can train most of your upper body. There's really nothing we can't train on your upper body. We can just, we might have to switch like seated variations versus standing. Um, and honestly, we could still probably even do like some leg extensions, leg curls and maintain most of your lower body muscle mass as well. That would again, depend on the injury, but we're like for upper body, like, okay, you have a shoulder, you have a shoulder injury. Well, we can probably still work around that, right? Like we probably can still train biceps and triceps and maybe even some pulling patterns. And we can definitely still train your lower body, right? Like maybe instead of a back squat, we have to do a leg press, but we can still work around this. Um, so I think it's kind of not throwing out the baby with the bathwater first, like, well, because I can't do things exactly like I was before, then whatever, I'm just going to quit. Like, I know when I, when I separated my AC joint, that's how it was for a long time. Like barbell bench press was my thing. <laughs> and now it's like, I can't, I can't do barbell bench press anymore. And I would just go to the gym be pissed that I, once again, it hurt to do barbell bench press. So like, and leave. Right. And it had to come to, Okay. Maybe I can focus on progressing an incline press. Maybe I can, maybe I can focus more on like my poles. Shit. Maybe I could actually train my legs, right? Like it's things like that. Um, from a nutrition perspective, again, then it's okay. Well, nutrition is still something very much that I can't control. Right. So um, then I think it's just understanding that because it's also easy within like when you're injured to, 
um, kind of just let everything fall to the back burner and kind of just let yourself spiral, right? Where your nutrition, there's nothing, there's no reason that your nutrition isn't just as much under your control as it was before. So you can still continue to like your goals to get leaner. And honestly, I would say if it's a pretty significant injury, it's a good idea to be around maintenance to make sure you're giving your body all the recovery resources it needs. Um, but yeah, that's typically how I look at it from like a nutrient perspective. When you have a client that has an injury, or like a foods we might want to include perspective, what are you typically including? Or like, what are you, does that make sense? Yeah, I just, um, in that case, I normally will just say as many nutrient dense whole foods as possible and include like a variety of colors. And then um, I may bump protein. And that's the one time I also might recommend uh, a good collagen protein, Mm -hmm. but I don't normally get specific on that on the type of vegetables, but I just say like include a variety. Um, but I mean, I guess if I was getting specific things like dark leafy greens and blueberries and those things that are like really rich colors typically are very micronutrient dense. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty similar to what I'll say as well. Like make sure you get plenty of antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Like you said, blueberries yeah. are a great option. Um, make sure that you have plenty of, omega-3s so like you're not eating fatty fish or like fish oil it's probably a good time to make sure that you're supplementing with that as well and yeah that is a one time where collagen is a little bit more applicable but that Mm -hmm. that's typically yeah that's that's a good one as well um typically that's kind of how i'll approach it do you have anything else to add to that yeah because this person that asked she is a nutrition client with me not training so because of that my mind immediately went to how do you hit your training targets or I mean your, uh, your diet targets. Mm. Um, so my mind automatically went towards that side of it. And so with that, I am not going to drop her calories right off the bat because um, like you said, there's a lot that she can still do with her upper body. I know that she's going to rest her legs um, for at least this week based on um, the the class trainer that she goes to. She does an upper, lower, upper, lower split over the course of the week. Um, and I know that for this week she was going to rest her lower body, but that means she can still do upper body. She can still walk. And we also know that there are a lot of compensations that happen whenever you're training. So it's probably not going to make a huge, huge difference on the diet prescription anyway. And a big Mm -hmm. reason that um, exercise is so helpful is because it regulates appetite. So as long as she's still getting a bit of exercise, Mm -hmm. like those upper body days and walking, that is not going to be a big um, factor there. So with her, what we're going to do is just stay exactly where we're at see if there are any changes. And I expect that she's going to continue to make progress just as quickly as she was before, if not actually see some nice benefits from having a break this week from the added stress of heavier leg days. So I like that. And I, yeah, I think that that's a time too where it is okay. Like in the situation where she's in, where it's okay to be a little bit more reactive. Right. And Hey, let's, like you're already eating all these nutrient-dense foods, you're in a good place there. Let's see how your body does with a week of kind of keeping things the same. And it may, it's very feasible that you could see a little bit quicker progress. I, I like that. I don't think I have anything else to add there. Um, 
so question I got that was a follow up to um, one of the questions I answered on the last Q and A about adding cardio versus calories. Um, and basically she was just asking, when do you add cardio versus when do you add calories when a client is stalled in a fat loss phase? Pull calories or add calories? Pull calories, excuse me. Okay. The question, yeah, the question last week was about adding calories, but she asked when do you pull calories versus when do you add cardio? I typically don't really add cardio, um, except for in very specific situations. So um, just like I had started to say that there, there are a lot of compensations that happen whenever you add cardio, your, um, and I've gone down the rabbit hole with this recently anyway, so it's already top of mind. So <laughs> I'm yeah, reading, um, this. yeah, I know the, the, I'm reading, um, burn by, uh, Herman Ponser. And so I like just yesterday listened to this portion of it. And so, um, you're, whenever you add cardio, you're a lot more likely to compensate by moving less throughout the rest of the day. Even if steps stay up, it's more likely that your steps are going to come down too. So we monitor that. Um, but even if steps are the same, you're more likely to just lean more or sit more than stand or fidget less and blink less and all of those kind of things. Um, and so because of that, I will almost always pull calories first. Um, if somebody's calories are already fairly low and it's getting to the point where it would be hard to stick to, then I'm going to look, um, at steps for, I would look at steps first to make sure they weren't decreasing, um, to, to see if that has been an adaptation that they've made and then boost those. But then, um, if, if that's already like, if those have been steady over time, and calories are already pulled down to a point where we don't want to pull them down anymore. Then I look and see if there are, if there is room to add some steps in and um, get some extra calories out that way. And then I may add a little bit of cardio. Um, if it's a situation where they're not on any sort of timeline though, it might be a good time for a break or to look at sleep or stress or any of like, there's a lot of different factors here that we could work on instead of adding cardio or pulling calories. And I know that we've talked a lot about that, but um, if it's just a a, uh, choice between those two, I'm definitely almost always going for pulling calories first. I think we're in a pretty similar boat there. That's typically how I'll approach it as well. Like the first decrease at least is almost always going to come from calories, if not the first Mm -hmm. couple. And really, I think it's more like once we get to the point where we're really kind of quote unquote digging where it is like, okay, you have gotten pretty lean and we might need to make another adjustment. That's more where I'm typically looking at like, hey, do we need to pull calories or do we need to add some cardio? Um, And just like you said, like that's exactly how I look at it with steps as well. Um, And I mean, even before that, even before we make that initial decrease, we'll of course like be auditing steps like, hey, are your steps higher? Are they consistent? Are you consistently hitting your target? Is it like you're at 4,000 a day? Is there any possible way you could consistently hit 6,000 a day, right? Because ideally, I like I want to keep people eating as much food as possible, mm-hmm. hitting a step target and not doing calorie or not doing like a conventional cardio um, if possible. Then typically like when we're in the point where we're digging. Now, what I'll say is, unless it's something that's phase specific, like someone going through a neural phase and we have them doing hit, right? Uh, typically unless it is someone that's like getting ready for a photo shoot 
I found that most lifestyle clients would honestly rather the process just take a little bit longer and not have to do like an additional two or three days of cardio. But a lot of times on like a photo shoot prep or like if you're getting ready for a wedding or a specific event and we have a tight timeline, we'll get to the point where we're really kind of digging and we have to choose. Typically what I'll look at then from that point is where is there more fatigue? Um, so are you more, hey, I feel kind of run down in my training, but my hunger isn't too bad? Okay, in that case, we'll probably pull calories. Or are you more, hey, I'm really hungry, but I feel pretty good at my training? Okay, we'll probably then um, add a little bit more cardio. Or is it kind of like, hey, both suck? Then we'll probably pull kind of, we'll probably like, hey, let's maybe add one day of cardio and pull calories a bit. Or if both aren't too bad, then I'll typically leave that up to the client. Like, hey, would you, would you rather decrease calories or pull cardio? That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's like a really complicated flow chart. And that's the art of <laughs> right? It's hard to say yeah. this or that because it's there's so many ifs in between there. I would say in general, though, like typically it makes sense. The first couple, the first adjustment or two, make sure steps are on point, pull calories. Then from there, just... Wherever fatigue is highest, training or nutrition, pull from the opposite. Um, or fatigue is high in both, just pull a little bit from each to simplify. Yeah. Cool. What do you got for me next? How many burpees are too many? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, do you watch New Girl? No. You never watch New Girl? Uh-uh. Oh, the best show. I love that show. Is it really? Show. Oh yeah, you would you wouldn't get you wouldn't get the reference then. So, um, anyways, I don't think I have ever programmed a burpee. Have you? <laughs> no, I mean, okay, I probably did a really long time ago in my um, like boot camp classes. Whenever I started out doing those in person, you did boot camp classes? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and burpees are like you know, that's the, at that time, especially it was like the go-to, it just makes you really feel like you're doing something because they're hard. <laughs> right. But yeah, I would never, I would never program those now. No, I don't think I've ever programmed burpees there. It's from a conditioning perspective, like burning calories. They're just, it's kind of like doing, this is an over-exaggeration, but somewhat like doing deadlifts to burn calories, right? Like it's, yeah. if you want to burn a lot of calories, there are so much safer ways to do it than doing a burpee, which inherently is going to kind of put you in more dangerous positions. Um, well, like we could, we get incline walk, we get on the assault bike, we get on the rower, even like running, right? At least you're not like throwing yourself on the ground and jumping. <laughs> um, and it's not going to do anything at all to build muscles. Yeah, I never program a burpee. Um, next question I have. Do you believe tempo, e.g. 3, 2, 1, 2, can slash should be used in hypertrophy training? Is there actual evidence that supports its use? Do you want me to take this one first? You got it. Okay. Um, as far as evidence, I... I don't know, actually. Um, I think that it's probably been used just to standardize things, but I honestly don't know for sure um, off the top of my head. But I have kind of come around on this to, uh, like in the in the recent um, months, I have been programming tempo and using mm -hmm. it myself a lot more too. I used to just, 
I used to think like just point A to point B, then it doesn't really matter the speed. And I know that I've heard others um, talk about that as well. Like, I think that's still what Mike Matthews um, says, like gives us his advice. But I, I just think it makes a big difference, especially if you, well, for one, like I said, standardization of the rep. If you're doing your first set with a three second eccentric and your last set with a one second eccentric or week one with a three second and week two with a one second, then that's not really progression. It's just you're, you're changing the the rep too much to say that that's progression. Um, And then also if you are really focusing on your form, then slowing down the eccentric helps you so much with like mind muscle connection and actually being in the position that you're supposed to be. And, um, just anecdotally for myself and clients, I think it's been a really big improvement to, to use tempo. And I don't, I don't think there's even like a specific number that it needs to be. I think as long as you're controlling it, like make probably somewhere between two to four seconds on the eccentric, um, then that is good. Like, a good number. I don't think it has to be super specific or standard uh, standardized across all movements. And I think if you're very advanced and you are an explosive person, then you probably don't need to control the eccentric quite as slowly, but especially for somebody new, um, especially for someone who maybe doesn't have access to as much weight as they could use, or mm-hmm. for someone who is um, just trying to really standardize their reps, I think it's great. One thing that I heard Brian Borstein say somewhat recently is um, he uses the eccentric component of the lift as like the rep and then the concentric just like getting back to the start so that he can move on to the next rep. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And I really like that. Like mentally that one clicks for me. Um, You know, like everybody has different cues that click and they can all be saying the exact same thing, but one will click more for somebody than others. But I really like that because that like forces you to focus on the lowering portion. And I think in order to do that, most people just have to slow it down. So basically like the concentric is where you're bringing all the intent. Right. The eccentric. Oh yeah, excuse me. Um, I still get those two mixed up sometimes. Uh, the, <laughs> so the lowering phase is basically where you're bringing all the intent, right? Uh-huh. And the cure. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then the con- just basically like reloading to get ready for the next rep. I like that. That's definitely not how I typically like think of it, but I like it. Um, I, I fully agree with everything you said. I don't even think I have too much more to add there. <laughs> Similarly, I'm glad I gave you that question because I also can <laughs> just like list off the studies on tempo. Um, but I'll say like your the thing is your tempo and your execution of a movement are intrinsically tied together, right? Like I had a, I have a couple of clients whose last week I was working through their form videos, like brand new clients. And it was like they were doing the concentric correctly, but then they were basically like every rep was just them dropping the weights super quick. And it was like, hey, there's like you're there's no tension on your muscles when you're doing this. Like yeah. a bench press was like drop dumbbells, then press them back up super quick. Or like the rows were again like yeah. dropping them dumbbells. And again, like that 
is going to take away from the overall tension that said muscle or the significant tension that said muscle experience. You're not going to get as much out of it. I don't think it has to be like, hey, it has to be a three second eccentric. I program tempo a little bit more as of late as well. Typically, I'll just tell people, hey, try to control the negative force anywhere between mm-hmm. two to four seconds. That was a very good point you made, though, as well about like if it's a one second eccentric one week and a three second eccentric one week, then it's like, how are you actually measure, measuring progression, which isn't actually something I thought about before. So that, that's a great point. Yeah, I, um, I'll try and video a lot of my lifts just to be sure that I'm that they look the same as they feel. Cause a lot of times right. they don't. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I noticed like on the, um, it was on RDLs recently. I was lowering down pretty slowly towards the first mm-hmm. part of the set. And then they started to get just a bit faster towards the end. It's cause I was getting tired and it's harder to control that, that weight right. with this, with the target muscle for the same amount of time as you get more fatigued. So Yeah. Absolutely. It is hard. It is funny too when you record yourself. Uh, same thing for me, especially my hip hinges. It always feels like, oh my gosh, this this negative is taking so long. And then you watch the yeah. video and it's like, wow, that was a little bit quicker probably than it should have been. Yeah, it is sure. funny how much different that feels in your head. Um, I think another thing. Questions? Go ahead. Um, no, that was my last one. But I think one uh, important aspect of that is you can use more weight if you're going faster, but you're not getting more tension on the muscle. So that means your joints are still getting the wear and tear of that heavier weight, but your muscle is not getting worked as effectively. So if you slow things down, then you're going to get more tension on the muscle and less weight on your joints. So that's another reason to slow things down a bit. That's a great point. Muscles don't... That's what I always have this conversation with clients. Muscles don't apply, don't respond to you lifting X amount of weight. They respond Mm -hmm. to the tension you actually apply to the target muscle tissue, right? And if it's just like I'm using heavy weight and I'm bouncing it from the bottom of my squats or whatever it may be, you're not going to experience as much tension and thus as much muscle growth as if you like you slow that down and controlled it more, but your joints will still experience a lot more wear and tear. So that's Mm -hmm. another great point. Um, last one I have, when you do a refeed day, will your scale weight jump a lot and take a while to come back down? So basically she's just asking if it's normal for scale weight to jump after a refeed. And then if you should expect it to go down quickly or slowly afterwards. I, this depends on so many things. It's impossible to give a direct answer to that. Um, this depends on your muscle mass, uh, your activity level, because if you're, if you're training hard, then you're going to deplete your glycogen faster afterward. Um, because it's so all I should say first, so the, the extra weight that you're experiencing on the scale from a refeed is just your muscles take in glycogen. You're probably eating more sodium. Um, so you're going to be holding more water weight. And all of those things have weight on the scale and the glycogen also pulls water in with it as well. So those things are going to cause you to gain weight on the scale. uh, Most likely that could also not be the case because if you drop cortisol with the extra carbs then you might not see that scale weight. So it's anyway, 
all of those, all of those things mean that if you have more activity level and you're, you're like burning your glycogen quicker, you'll see the scale weight come back down. If you have just like a lot of muscle mass and a very high metabolism, you'll see the scale weight come down quicker. If you have very good insulin sensitivity, then you'll probably see the scale back, come back down quicker. Um, if you are dieting versus in maintenance, that can make a difference. If your thyroid hormone is low because you've been dieting for a long time, then that water weight can stick around a bit longer. There are just, if you're like a very sweaty person or you're like out in the heat and humidity <laughs> right now and you're sweating a lot, then that can come off quicker. There's, there are so many factors that I, it, I don't know if anybody could actually give like a good timeline for how quickly you'll come back down after a refeed. I agree. Um, I used to always have, uh, I would say like two years ago, every one of our clients would, or every one of my clients would have at least one refeed day a week. And it was crazy to see. And it still is crazy to see like when we give someone a refeed, how much different some people respond to it. Right. Like we'll see some of, some of our clients will you refeed and they come back from that refeed lighter, right? A couple of clients mm-hmm. come to mind right now where I was just like leaving notes in their tracker, typically like along the far right side of our tracker, I'll like leave my own notes for like, okay, for example, this person seems to respond a little bit better to refeeds when we're looking at just weight specifically, right? Like when that a plateau, we refeed them. It almost seems like they'll see a little bit of a drop. Whereas some people it's like, if we refeed them, give them after a single refeed day, that person will, and typically I would say these are people that do have like higher stress levels as well, which mm-hmm. from, that's just anecdote because like, if we look at the science of it, we would think, okay, we're refeeding with more carbs. Um, the increase in carbs should drop cortisol and it should see a drop in water weight. I don't know that I've ever actually done a refeed for the purpose of someone dropping like, Hey, I think this person's super stressed and they'll refeed them and it's going to drop water weight and actually had it pan out like that. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. I did it myself about a month and a half ago. Um, and, and my weight stayed the same. Okay. So I, I saw like I increased carbs, weight did not go up. And then whenever I went back to, my normal diet, I saw a little bit of a drop. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Um, but I would say like generally, like some people on the flip side, some people will like, you'll give them a refeed and it takes like literally the next five to six days for their weight to just back to where it was previously. Right. Yeah. Until you're Uh, ready for your next refeed. Right. And then the next refeed comes (laughs) up and it's almost like a, so as you said, it just depends so damn much on where you are coming from. Um, I would ask too, like, why are you taking refeeds? Cause I think some people also think like refeeds are just something that you have to take. Like that's the only way to diet. Mm-hmm. Um, one from like a mental sanity side of things, but I found a lot of times that like clients that I like those clients that I was giving refeeds so consistently. And that's one thing that like I still use refeeds sometimes, but it's not just like everyone has to take it. And I found that like those clients it was actually driving them a lot more crazy to see like, okay, I saw finally after six days, six days after my refeed. Okay. Now I see the scale is low again. 
but now, okay, now the next day it spikes up again because I took my refeed, right? And it's like they were thinking or the thinking was that that was going to better help their adherence, but really they might have just been better off. I often have found clients are better off just, hey, let's do like maybe every three to four weeks, let's take a week-long diet break or maybe every four to six weeks, let's take a week-long diet break rather than having this one refeed every week. And let's just grind out like these three to four weeks, see a lot of quick progress and give you a longer period away. And we can actually reduce some of these negative adaptations to dieting and a diet break anyways. Um, Because I think that a lot of times, like for that person, unless you are very, very trusting of the process, it kind of just drives you crazy where it's like, okay, weights back up. When it weights still up, right? And then you see like one new low a week and then you just have to be very trusting if that's going to be like how your body responds to it. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't think I have any other thoughts on that. Do you? No. Cool. All right. Well, that is all we have for you all for this time. As always, thank you guys for tuning in and we will talk to you all next time.